Welcome back to a new episode of the Lindrock Hockey Podcast. I'm here with a, a co-host myself and my father, Jim Lindroth here. Dad, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Andrew. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. I'm glad to be back at it here in your office uh, now that the COVID stuff has finally calmed down and we're on to, to winter break for our jobs as we work in education. So we've got the time off, able to get together, talk some hockey again. Um, so... Not too much new news this week as far as brewing stuff, but with the league, there is big news, and this affects everybody, Dad. Um, so the first things that we're going to be talking about today um, will be the NHL season starting and the information on that. Um, we're also going to talk about uh, Bruins owner, um, Jeremy Jacobs. Uh, he'll be uh, talked about as he's furious with Bettman, uh, the NHL commissioner, over um, the, the COVID stuff and those new uh, details that we'll talk about. We're okay. going to take a look, just a brief look at the AHL and the ECHL. So there's minor league um, teams that have opted out um, in the league status and, and dad heading to the first ECHL games this weekend. So That's we'll right. Talk we'll talk that. about that. Um, and just a brief look at the World Juniors roster, as I know just the big news coming out of that is all, a lot of star players from certain countries um, are being completely cut from the tournament. If they tested positive for COVID-19 okay. in between any of the training and then. Um, and then we're also going to talk about the Bruins governor visiting the TD Garden recently and trying to uh, check in on the possibility of having the, X the, amount of the, number of the Boston mayor. Was it the mayor? Because it said governor oh, on my board. Well, it's maybe I think it's, it's the governor. Okay. But mayor as well. They're looking at the possibility of X amount of fans that we'll talk about. And then the final thing. We'll talk about at the end today is another fun little old school topic. Um, RiflingHockeyFights.com again, and this is top player rivals versus the Boston Bruins, um, and is based on the amount of hockey fights against the team in their career in general. So we got quite a show for you today. We're excited to get started. So, Dad, without further ado, let's go ahead and let's start talking about the big news that came out of this past week, which is the NHL announcing. Um, officially that well no agreement. it's still proposed it's not official oh okay uh, so it's we're talking proposed. about the temporary alignment of the new divisions so here we go the most um, interesting one and of course it's covid related is all canadian teams will form a canadian division so calgary edmonton montreal ottawa toronto vancouver and winnipeg then you have um, the division of boston bruins are going to be in along with Boston, New Jersey, New York Islanders, the Rangers, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and Washington. The next division, Carolina, Columbus, Detroit, Chicago, Florida, Minnesota, Nashville, Tampa Bay. And then next, Anaheim, Arizona, Colorado, Dallas, Los Angeles, San Jose, St. Louis, Vegas. So let's real quick, Dad, let's, uh, before we kind of get into details about the division realignments, um, I, you know, I actually have some friends, we've got some family too that, aren't huge hockey fans or have a, no, a lot of knowledge about hockey. So why are we having division realignments? Why is the Canadian division having something completely different? Well, it's just, um, you know, it's difficult, I would imagine, for the U.S. teams to go up into Canada and Canada come down here because the borders are closed or whatever they might be. So and Canada's uh, got really strict policies on um, quarantine once you enter the country. I mean, there's some very yeah, strict policies yeah. coming into there, especially so, Americans. Yeah, so, I, you know, some people are taking offense that Canada is doing that, but it is what it is. So I don't think it's an NHL decision. I think it's more of it's the only thing that makes sense. 
Uh, the only thing that I find is strange is for this Canadian division, they're going to struggle with the time zone differences. This is a division. So normally, like, you know, Boston will play Vancouver once or twice a year, right? Same thing with all the California teams. But if they're in a division, this stays all season. I mean, they're going to be flying back and forth and they have to deal with time zones. It can be a bit of a problem, I would imagine. And also what I've heard, too, is, and this is obviously uh, not official, but the NHL are looking to, especially when they're playing the same division, uh, you know, the same division rivals this whole season, they're looking at three-game MLB-type series. So it'll be oh. like three games in a row against one team. And, you know, Dad, I'm not going to lie, we're going to do a division realignment like this. And how many teams are we playing against? Two, four, six, seven teams. So there's eight teams, including the Bruins. So we'll play against seven teams for most of the season. I think it would create some damn good rivalries. That's like a three-game well, playoff series. Much time. I, w- I would, I would venture to say that the Boston, Buffalo, New Jersey, New York Islanders, Rangers, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Washington. We're in the toughest division. If this stays put, um, I feel bad if you are the Sabers in New Jersey. You're going to get clobbered in yep. this division. Because I think those teams are pretty weak. Um, but, you know, it will be creating a lot more rivalry with the New York teams and definitely Pittsburgh and Washington. Yeah, that would be interesting. But Bruins are going to have a hard time, too. They normally don't have um, consistent success, especially against Washington, um, but also a very dangerous Philadelphia team. And for some reason, we like to struggle against Pittsburgh. Um, but even the New York Islanders, their, their defense is incredible, and they made it all the way to the conference championship this year. Yeah. Um, we're defeated by the Lightning, but still put on a, a very tough body, good show. And, hey, New York Rangers, too, Dad, don't sleep on them. Lafreniere, or however you pronounce his name, that number one pick is, is coming in there. They've got Artemi Panarin. They've got Savannah Jad. New York Rangers are starting to shape up to be uh, a playoff contender at least now. So this is going to be a very tough division, Dad. I think uh, you're right. I think other than no disrespect to the Sabres and, and the New Jersey Devils, but they're still in rebuild mode and they're going to be having some trouble, but Bruins will too. Bruins are going to have their work cut out. For them. Well, I really like, and we don't have to go over the details, but I really like the team that Buffalo is putting together in the off season. They're really making a run to change it and to try to get into the playoffs, which I think they, they haven't done in a while, have they? Oh no, not in a while. So Buffalo is really, you know, looking good, but, you know, it's a tough division. All right, the next division is the Carolina, Columbus, Detroit, Chicago, Florida, Minnesota, Nashville, Tampa. I would say that if you're Carolina, you're loving this. And Tampa. And Tampa. And Columbus. I mean, Columbus is a really good team. Florida's starting to get a lot better as well, but for some reason, they never really, you know, finish and do well. Minnesota's getting better as well. They're normally not in the playoff picture. Same Nashville's off and on. They usually sometimes will make playoffs and they don't, but that'll be kind of an up in the air division. But if you're thinking about Detroit, Dad, who had 13 or 14 regular season wins last year, you're pretty pissed going against it. Carolina, Columbus, Tampa, well, those teams that and, are constantly making it. Even and, Nashville. And I believe I mean, we should have our friend that we went on this podcast, Stephen. Steve, yep, Stephen. You know, he's a big uh, St. Louis fan. And I would imagine. You know, the rivals, while we're not playing the Canadians, Boston's not playing the Canadians. Well, I think St. Louis and Detroit have a pretty good rival. Right. But and St. They're Louis. They're not going to be playing. They're right. In a different division. Yeah, they're in a different 
division. So that division that St. Louis is in is now Anaheim, Arizona, Colorado, Dallas, Los Angeles, San Jose, St. Louis, Vegas. And I, you know, I, I think if you have Vegas, you're liking this. Who knows what Dallas is going to be? Yep. Um, but Dallas was a cup contender, obviously. But I think Colorado's, you know, a strong team. And, you know, I mean. Colorado, Dad, if you want to talk about a team that's put on a phenomenal team, they're looking like the Tampa Bay Lightning right now. I mean, I don't, if you're a GM, I would stay away from Joe Sackett. If he's calling your phone, hang it up. Don't even pick it up because he's swindling deals left and right. And yeah. honestly, Dad, the next podcast episode, we should take a look at some of the teams that are looking real good. Sure. Now that now that's now that all the trades and signings are pretty much done. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, yeah, we could do that. So, um, no one's happy with the alignment. I don't know. Maybe Canada is. I don't know. We'd have to talk to a Canadian, I guess. Um, you know, just they may just like an all Canadian division just for the first time ever. Yeah. But um, I mean, it's temporary. We'll see what happens. Uh, we're going to talk about it with the world juniors here, uh, but you know, vaccine has arrived and we'll talk more about that. So maybe when these teams get vaccinated and everything else, we'll go back to uh, normal games, but uh, this is the way it is. And I'm going to a hockey game tomorrow night. Yep. ECHL Tulsa Oilers. They actually have their opener uh, tonight, which would be Friday, the uh, December 11th. But we can't make that, and I'll be there tomorrow night playing against Allen, which is always a big, rough team down in uh, Allen, Texas. They'll be up here in Tulsa. I'm just happy there's hockey. Right. And I know it's going to happen because yesterday I got a postcard in the mail from DirecTV that NHL Center Ice is now going to charge me, I think it's like 145 for the four months for the season or whatever it's going to be, four-month payments. So this is definitely going to happen. We're going to have some hockey, and I think we all have to just suck it up. And we're just going to have to say, hey, you know what? Um, you know, let's be happy there's hockey. Right. I mean, I say there's an asterisk after this season. Tampa fans won't like it, but that's the way that it is. And, Dad, because you're one of probably the lucky few in the United States right now going to a professional hockey game of some sort. Yes. Um, explain again for our listeners who may have missed it, previous podcast episodes before, but discuss real quick um, the seating arrangement so they all get an idea. So this, so the BOK Center here in Tulsa is basically a full-fledged professional NHL rink. Probably too big for the Oilers themselves. Well, it, it is, but you know this is where they hold all the big concerts, and this is how Tulsa can bring in any big star because they have a 19,000 seat arena and it's just on par with any other NHL arena. Um, well, anyway, so they're only allowed to, I think, accommodate 30% of the percentage of the seats, which comes out. I don't know what it is. It's like 7,500 seats, which is fine. But uh, for Tulsa, because they average about maybe 5,000 people each time. So, for them, it's fine. If this is an NHL arena and this is what they do, it becomes problematic because now you can only sell 7,500 7, seats. So what they're doing is the season ticket holders get the first dibs, which you know we're part of, and uh, uh, you have your seats and there's, they keep no one in front of you, nobody in back of you, and three seats to the left and right. 
So is it one row to the front and back of you, or is it three? Like you said, the three no, seats it's, it's 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 a row in front of you, a row in back of you, with three seats on either side. You know, I'd be cool with this being permanent. Well, so for the Tulsa Oilers, it's fine. So what they're doing is they're selling out the lower bowl pretty quick, right? right. The season ticket holders, and then they're opening up the upper bowl or upper bowl, the balcony, whatever. Um, and that's where like the general population will go if it's just single tickets. I'm imagining, I don't want to speak for them, but that's what, it, when I talked to uh, one of their people, that's what they told me. Interesting. But if this is the, um, if this is the plan for NHL and we might as well talk about it now. And I looked it up. It is the Boston Bay. It's not the go. Okay. So that was a misreport. Right. Marty, Marty Walsh is, is Boston's mayor. Andrew's not from Boston. So he Correct. didn't do it, but uh, well, and it was Walsh. originally reported that it was the governor. Actually, okay. That. So I thought to it was fair. Yeah. I thought it was the mayor. Anyway, they're talking to somebody, right? And they're talking about seventy-five hundred seats, which is about thirty percent capacity, or whatever it is, right? So um, that's the way it's looking now. I see problems with that if you know with the COVID because if you got that many empty seats, how many times have you gone to a game, especially in Boston? And it's like if there's an empty seat for more than ten minutes some shady mofo is coming down and they're sitting in, in those empty seats. Just like we would, yeah. And, you know, we do that, at, you know, in Tulsa games, we have 19,000 seats, but, you know, we could sit wherever we want on a lot of the tickets. Well, it'd be interesting how they're going to police that. Right. I agree. And I so I think if you're an usher at one of these sports venues and they do this very limited capacity, it's going to be, I wouldn't want to be them. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, it's got to be some extra work for them. And yeah, we're we'll trying to steal seats. But, uh, you know, that way you can have some concessions, you got some more jobs going on, you know, and, and there's some income coming in on the teams. Right. So while this would, if they actually did this and say limited seating for the NHL, I mean, that's not many tickets. Right. 7,000 out of 19,000, but at least you're getting something instead of nothing. Right. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, for the ECHL, well, especially for our building, because it's 30%, I guess, is the, the limit, right. is what I heard. So that's fine. It's not going to affect the Tulsa Oilers at all. Right. It might the other arenas, if you only have a 7,000-seat arena, that not all of a sudden. Well, and that's why I wanted you to kind of explain yeah. the BOK Center for those who aren't familiar with the Tulsa area, because um, that's just, a, you know, ECHL teams usually playing a much smaller arena. Yeah. There's no upper bowl. There's no professional concession like that. So, Tulsa Oilers was really lucky. Right. And ECHL, as far as I understand it, uh, I've not received any more schedules beyond the first month. So uh, that's what it is there. Uh, they haven't even figured out their schedule, but all those teams for ECHL have either opted in or opted out. They had a deadline, is my understanding. Mm -hmm. So now they can go ahead and align some sort of schedule. Right. And we'll see what happens. But uh, anyway, not to talk too much about ECHL, but uh, I'm looking forward to going tomorrow. And I'll right. uh, next week I'll report in of how the attendance uh, was. Yeah, definitely report because, like I said, you're one of the lucky Americans right now to be going to a professional other than college because I know college hockey has started, even though I don't know if they're letting people in. Um, but you'll be one of the first. Yeah, that'll be very cool. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the AHL as well, um, simply because they don't have a plan right now. Um, they haven't even made an announcement. I looked look briefly before this podcast, double check. So um, COVID, man, it's really screwed everything up, as, er as everybody knows. And, and, and I'll be wearing a mask. 
Oh yeah. I hope everybody there is wearing a mask. You know, Even I'm, if you're not sitting around people, you I'm, know, I'm gonna still... be wearing a mask and you know your stepmom, she's already she's recovered from COVID, so she's at she's gonna wear a mask, but she doesn't really need to since she's you know, like supposedly you can't get COVID if you've had it up to three months after you get it. So I heard that was a rumor. Is that true? Uh, that's what that's what your stepmom says. She's a medical doctor, so that's the latest research, as far as I know. But anyway, I won't. I, I don't want to speak for her. God, I don't want to speak for her. But uh, that's what I heard. But anyway, she's wearing a mask, meaning we're not one of those, you know, not wearing mask people. We wear masks. We've been very careful. Right. Yep. And, All right. Uh, so, along the lines of this, Dad, I had seen this. Uh, and this is to no surprise, especially Bruins fans. Uh, Bruins, Boston Bruins owner Jeremy Jacobs is furious with the NHL commissioner, uh, Gary Bettman, um, for having this new season. Um, and, Dad, I know that you have a little bit more information on this, but I'm kind of surprised, especially with uh, the Massachusetts mayor or governor, whoever um, the person is checking in on, TD Garden, um, is looking at the possibility of 7,500 fans, which you said I believe is about 30%. Um, at the TD Garden. So why would you be upset about this, especially if Bruins are working towards getting fans in the arena to make money? So I want to cite two things because we really, you know, as we, uh, I'm getting this from a, a, a Boston news outlet. So I want to, I want to cite this. So this is Ty Anderson. This is for the 985thesportshub.com. And I'm just going to read here what, what he wrote. So it says, with the new CBA between the NHL and the Players Association, it was designed to bring about a labor peace for the next six years. Uh, but just four months old is a source of great frustration for many. The players are bothered by the fact that they're being asked for additional concessions on a four-month-old agreement. Um, the owners are bothered by the fact that they may have to keep their doors closed to fans when the season starts. So both of these seem, things shouldn't seem painfully obvious to literally everyone when these both sides sat down to hammer out this new deal over this past summer. Um, but what happened is, and this is uh, quoting uh, uh, the New York Post, uh, let's see, it's Larry Brooks. He said, we've been told by two sources that club owners were largely uninformed about the spring and summer negotiations and had little and no time to examine this contract before it was put to a vote. Now the owners, now that the owners understand the ramifications of the deal, given the challenges of playing at least a largely spectator-free season, there's a group livid at the commissioner and the, uh, Bettman and Deputy Daly. We're told the Boston Bruins, Mr. Jacobs, is among them. And that's big because, of course, Jacobs is the chairman of the board of governors for the NHL. And, you know, I mean, the commissioner, well, look at football, right? Basically, would it, it, although it's changed a little bit, but pretty much whatever the owners say and want, the, the commissioner has to make happen or they'll, you know, they could vote in another commission. So it looks like they're at odds here and where this goes, nobody really knows. Um, but apparently uh, Jacobs is one of these people that's really pissed. And, you know, it is what it is. I mean, this is the business side of it. And, you know, the NHL doesn't want to have a lockout, but uh, the owners, I guess, really didn't have much input with what's going on here in this negotiation, I guess. 
Yeah, I find so, it to be very interesting. Um, but yeah, some Bruins fans that should come to no surprise, but hopefully Jacobs gets off his little temper tantrum if uh, especially if we're allowed to have fans, especially at the TD Garden, can bring in some revenue for the Bruins. Um, but I don't really have too many thoughts on that in general, Dad. I just don't really care for the owner of the Bruins in general. No, so no, just, no, you know, no one, no one really does. And you know, this uh, source actually goes on to say that uh, you know Bettman has been adamant about not renegotiating this, this the new CBA. Yeah, uh, that it's basically a done deal. So uh, they're not going to renegotiate, and that's kind of the reason why the owners are pissed because they were kind of left out of it. So anyway. Interesting uh, topics. What do we got next? Uh, yeah, so um, the World Juniors roster. So this is just, you know, briefly real quick for any of the prospect World Junior lovers. I'm not huge on following super young prospects um, or anything like that. In fact, I don't pay attention to that draft class that comes in until, you know, a couple months before the actual draft happens. Get familiar with those prospects. But um, I've seen a lot of updates um, on Instagram from certain pages like Puck Empire, NHL Discussion, um, that are updating the players who apparently once they get COVID, um, they're opted out of the whole tournament. And I see some people complaining that uh, the people who are getting COVID, um, that there's ample enough time in between uh, the camp and then um, the games to be able to quarantine and be able to be back and be able to play with the team. So it's interesting, Dad, that any players that between now the start of camp and then any time in between the tournament, if they get COVID, they're pretty much kicked from the World Junior team. I mean, they're, they're leaving. So I know teams like uh, Austria, I believe, um, who has Marco Rossi, who is uh, top, uh, I think he was a ninth or tenth overall pick this NHL draft and went to Minnesota. He's pretty much carrying that whole team now after they lost, I think, three of their best players. I don't know if that was Team Austria or, or where it comes from. I believe it's Austria, but other teams like Germany are, are having a tough time. Germany, uh, I think it was just announced that Switz, Switzerland uh, has three of their players down. And it's mostly good players. You know, it isn't just you know, players. The, uh, the Swedish coach has. Oh, yeah, and he can't, he can't even coach team now. He's kids. So it, but I think what it's interesting for us to look at this because um, you know, they can examine testing protocols things like that um um and the nhl can examine that and hopefully you know like i think having covid cases when the nhl starts is going to happen it's it's inevitable but trying to you know catch it segregate the players as much as they can you know quarantine them and stop the spread but yeah right now the world juniors is having a little bit of problems with this and i'm sure all the other sports teams uh, in any sport is, you know, checking out what sports are going on right now and hopefully learning from any mistakes that anybody's doing. Right. And, and still all over the world and all of these European hockey leagues, they're still going on. I think without fans mostly, but a lot of the Bruins there, prospects are over there playing overseas and doing very well. By the way. There was a, uh, a, a good interview. I, I, I wish I could remember the, the, the podcaster. But he had uh, Tulsa Oriole coach Rob Murray on there talking about, okay, so what are you doing about the COVID? And, and the ECHL, at least Tulsa, there's not much they could do. They don't have money to have bubbles, but they're having their own sort of personal bubbles, meaning the coach said that the players were 
just allowed to like come to practice, go to their apartment and that's it. Yeah. Now that's a lot on the trust, but you know, uh, I'm pretty sure they're all going to follow that, but there's no protocols in place other than just please don't go out. You know, right. they're, they're imposing their own little individual bubbles and uh, we'll see what happens. You know, I mean, these guys going anywhere for Christmas, they shouldn't. Poor well, guys. the thing is too is, you know, poor guys, even if they don't, if their wife or whoever they live with, right. if they've got a roommate that isn't a hockey player that goes out and brings it home and gives it to them, kind of these guys want to be that guy on the team that catches it, that starts a, a spread in the team or, or a chain of canceled games or them missing games for a while. That's a two-week quarantine usually. So, yeah, I, I feel bad for those guys, and especially the CHL teams that are probably having to do their own little mini team bubble pretty much and, and just entrust them which right and and look at the players, MLB they tried to do that with the MLB when it first started to open up during yeah. COVID and they were all partying at bars every night and living it up and they're all catching it and it was a big problem. Well yeah and Tulsa I I I heard are testing twice a week once or twice a week. The Oilers are yeah gotcha. And of course it's you know basically the team, the coaches and the trainers Right. And the doctors, you know, they're the only ones coming in contact with anybody. So um, I don't know. There it is. It'll be interesting. And we'll see. I, I think we just need to be glad with whatever hockey we can get in this season. I agree. And I'm going to leave it at that. It, they may have to shut it down. Like World Juniors is probably going to I mean, They got problems. They got problems. Yep. It, it'll be very interesting uh, to, to see what happens. And hopefully they continue to play and they can just get it through it because any more canceled stuff is just going to hurt. Yes, heard in general. But last thing I want to talk about today, Dad. Ah, um, this is—is is this our fun? This is our fun one. Okay, this is great. kind of the old school, you know. And we talk a lot of old school stuff, you know, fighting and the physical and the stuff. Yes. But but we like that old school part of it, and we talk about a lot of other stuff as well. But this is another thing from HockeyFights.com. Okay. Kind of a couple of the tough guy series that we've been doing in the past, probably since like the first or second episode. But this is top player rivals versus the Boston Bruins. And the criterion for this is the amount of hockey fights or career hockey fights um, that a single player has had against the Boston Bruins. Okay, so so, so you're going to go through basically is the players that have had the most fights against versus the, Bruins, the Boston Bruins. Against Boston Bruins players. So before people get upset with this and saying, how can you can't have this fighter or that fighter, it's – that's what you based it on. I'm is, reading a list from Hockey Fights that says top player rivals versus Boston based on fighting how, how many fighting games fight right. Boston Bruin players. Okay, well, this ought to be fun, but just remember there might be some, like, uh, and I don't know this list. Andrew is not showing me this list. Is is Probert on there? No. Right, because the, Bruins, no. because the Bruins, you know, didn't play Detroit right on, right? So before people get mad, obviously – Division rivals, whatever the division, you know, who was in the division at the time is probably more of those. So right. And, and also you got to remember enforcers too. And right. like you said, but they play in the same division as enforcers by each other. A and lot. if they had a long career, short career. Okay. So, so some with of these that disclaim. Some of these will make sense. Some of these won't. Yes. So we'll start. At number 10. Do you want me to comment if I have a comment on this? Please, just be because quiet. a lot of these older players, well, I wouldn't say a lot. I know most of them, but there are a few that I don't. And okay. also, too, if you have a history or story about them. Okay, go ahead. Hands, please. Go ahead. Shane Carson. 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 Okay, I thought that was in the Montreal. Terrible handwriting. 15 fights. 
career history. Yeah. So he's yeah. number 10. We're starting at 10. Yeah. And during the 80s, I mean, he was a pest along with Cordic, John Cordic, uh, uh, McPhee. You know, there was a lot of Montreal, Boston, Philly hatred there. And Shane Corson, decent player, but not afraid to drop the gloves. And uh, yeah, he's a. Uh, he, but a Montreal Canadian. Oh yeah, so Montreal Canadian. That, that's sure. pretty much a given. So this next one, like I said, this is enforcer, so she has he had a long career and fought yeah. guys. Uh Eric Bolton. Okay. Go 15 ahead. fights. So I mean, as you guys, everybody knows he's fought McQuaid, playing time and Sean Thornton have fought many times. Right. So he was just that enforcer that lined up with usually people. And he's had some good bouts against the Bruins. And Eric Bolton's also very, very tough enforcer, very very tough guy. Yep. Um, so check him out if you haven't yet. He's had some good fights. Uh, this next one, I, I'm not surprised. Basil McRae, 16 fights. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, I believe, I don't know if it was towards the end of his career. Um, I, we should have more time to really research this because now I'm just talking off the top of my head. I know. That's but why I like to I surprise believe, you. I this. believe uh, I ended up uh, Quebec Nordiques, which played the Bruins a lot. Gotcha. Uh, don't hold me to that. But yeah, Basil, uh, he he was a fighter. He was fun to watch. Well, at number seven, we've got Ty Dome, seventeen fights, yeah. and that's got to be a given. He fought everybody all the time right. in Toronto. They were always in the same division as the Bruins, right? Like they are now. I can't. I can't remember the old Adams division in the eighties. I I, I want to say something. I, I would assume that he's fought the Bruins that many times, um, especially because he, he he played all the way up into the early two thousands. Right. And, right. And then he he was on New York for a while. Oh, that's right. Rangers. He played our division as well. Uh, number six, Tiger Williams. Yeah, seventeen I mean, fights. Yeah, crazy. If there's a Hall of Fame enforcer, I think he'd be on that. Yeah, he's played a lot of different teams and. And yeah, it's no, it's you know, he's been in play Boston a lot, so that's not a surprising now, fact. So now we're 17 in, fights, 17 okay. against the Bruins. Yeah, so uh, now we're into to the top five at number five. Um, probably one of the toughest guys to lace him up, Rob Ray, with 18 fights. Yeah, old Buffalo Saber. Yep, so I, I remember I'm listening to Spit and Chicklets podcast, I'm almost certain he was talking to uh, Dublonsky. Probably one of the toughest fighters. I'm almost certain it was Jablonski that he was talking to. Don't quote me on it. But uh, they asked Jablonski, uh, you know, and this guy's like a mutant. You know, he's got like that mohawk just down the middle, shaved on all sides. So he's like, sure. you know, he looks like just, you don't want to mess with him at all, like a KHL guy. And uh, he said the only player that he never liked fighting was Rob Ray. And just seeing like the emptiness in his eyes, just the, the true, like, Fear you see in his eyes that you're about to fight him because just I don't just the way he look at you, it's his huh. eyes. So I mean, like, he, he, he they was, always say there was oh he, PJ Stock was also one that said he, ne- he would not want to fight Rob Ray. Really, never would. I mean, he, a, obviously a tough guy. Uh, I remember him and Lyndon Byers used to go at it a lot in the eighties. Oh, Ray um, did. Yeah, but okay. I don't. I don't think any of the enforcers were afraid of him by any means. And of course, I think Rob Ray is mostly well known for. Was it was it the time a fan jumped on the ice and went by the and the bench and the Buffalo bench and went to the Buffalo bench and I mean there must have been twenty punches that Ray threw at this poor guy. Give the guy credit though he ate him. He, he didn't, <laughs> I, I don't get think, knocked out. I don't also. think he had a choice. Yeah, I mean, he ate him though. Um, but uh, yeah, he's definitely a tough tough customer. Yeah. Um, so number four, 
another, I think probably dad, one of the most underrated tough guys in the 2000 slash 2010s. It reminds me of a Rob Ray or a smaller yeah. John Jones, Chris Neal, 18 fights. Yeah, and uh, Ottawa, right? Brutal. Ottawa. Oh, and, and he was, and, and as he got older, I think people started underestimating some of the younger Barry. enforcers and never and that he, was a mistake yeah he was still i remember when he fought mcquade i think in 2015 um there's a brawl that happened because of it i gouged mcquade pretty bad a pretty crazy guy but neil i will say this neil is one of the only players to actually have a w on hockey fights so i'll come against cynthia manchara yeah for having a takedown and Char didn't land anything so it's a clear as day yeah. I always respected Neil after that. Neil going fighting against anybody. The guy was not big. He's under six foot. It just always seems like you forget, maybe because it's Ottawa, not to pick on Ottawa. Right. Yeah. But, you know, it's always, and then when you play Ottawa, you're like, oh my God, oh, it's Neil. Neil's still playing? Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He played for a while. He did. He did. But tough, tough character. All right. So that's 18 fights. All right. Next. So now we're in the top three. This is where I only recognize number one. So, Dad, help me out with these two. Uh, number three, Gord Donnelly. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Donnelly. D O N N E L L Y. Gord Donnelly. 21 fights. Uh, that one off the top of my head, not ringing a bell. Yeah. On that one. No, I so. But 21 fights. It's a lot. So. Yeah, so I, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Who's the next one here? We'll... Um, this one, number two, Tory Robertson, twenty-four fights against the Bruins. Okay, Robertson, never heard of this guy. Twenty-four fights, and he's tied for the number one spot. So clearly, um, you know, had quite a robbery. I would assume probably played for what is it, Harper Whalers or something? Played yeah, he in the played. Division? Yeah, he mostly played for what I remember. In the 80s um, for the Hartford Whalers. Um, I don't really remember any specific fight. I mean, this is kind of anticlimactic here. Uh, but, you know, Hartford and Boston used to go at it all the time. So yeah. I, I guess we would have to look him up. So yeah. that would be something to look up. We That's don't want to take away from the guy 24 yeah. fights. Yeah, and this is where I was saying with these, with this list, it's, it's actually – a bit uh, obscure because some of these players you probably don't really recognize. Well, or I just I just popped them up on the computer. Yeah, it was mostly uh, he played a little bit in Washington, but mostly Hartford, a little bit of Detroit. Um, yeah, I mean, enforcer type guy. I mean, scored like you know five to two to two to five to ten goals a season, but had like three hundred penalty minutes. So that yeah. was his job. So that's what it sounds. Like. But well, uh, I I don't remember the guy, and so I. I don't know. We'll have to look him up, watch some fights. Well, I think everybody can pretty much agree to this, especially the old school fans that the number one player rival against Boston, who ended up joining Boston, who is a Boston boy, grew up right. a Boston yep. boy, Chris, yep. Chris Nyland. Yep. 24 fights. Yep. Probably one of the toughest dudes, too. Not the best fighter. Don't get me wrong. He wasn't like he was beating up enforcers, but he was much like uh, – a Chris Neal, or he, I mean, he just would fight anybody. He's, he'd he'd he's crazy. fight, but he also was smart in the fact that he just didn't drop his gloves to drop them. He would instigate. I mean, right. he, he would sheep shot if 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 it would give him an edge. Right. Yeah, because he wasn't the biggest guy. Like I said, it's not like he won a bunch. He reminds me of Sean Avery. It, yeah, except I don't think Avery's a fighter. Ever. 
he may got into a lot of fights. He may think he's something. Come on, he's not. No, but he's you know Chris Island. I think same size and everything. Just the he's just crazy. That's the thing. It was just craziness because there is a documentary. Chris not on Chris Island. Right. Like the whole time it's called his Ice I Guardians think, I or think something. I saw it, yeah. If you haven't seen it, it's over his life. It's a very, very good documentary. Um, but a lot of Bruins fans know him and have met him, uh, say he's a great guy. And uh, you know, it, it was tough for him because you know he was on Montreal for so many years and he's a Boston boy. And all you gotta do is listen to the accent. And uh, and yet he was just booed and you know, had things thrown at him, and rightfully so. I mean, the things that he did. Well, don't forget, I mean, uh, especially but, old school fans, you know, he started that brawl in the hall. Sure, and I remember I remember him talking about, like, his family would have to go to the garden and, like, not, you know, tell anybody that they were his family. Right. His mother really got upset because the Bruins fans were, you know, really getting on to Chris Nyland. You know, that's his son, you know. And, right. But – and he's and he's the hometown boy. Well, finally, when he did make it to Boston, he he finally got I think the love and admiration that he he was looking for. You know, his whole thing was you know he would he would always say he would pump up pump up pump it up for playing in the old garden. Yeah. You know he would he he just loved to do that because that's his hometown. And if they right. want to hate him a little bit more, then that's that was fine with him. But he did secretly say you know, he really wanted admiration of Boston. I think that's why he signed with Boston. Yeah, I agree, because he was at the tail end of his career as well and was not the crazy, tough Chris Nyland as he was before. Still yeah. was doing there's his a, stuff. There's but... a video, I think, of an early fight with him and Terry O'Reilly. O'Reilly was towards the end of his career. And it was just one of those, you could tell, like, Nyland going, come on, give it to me, give it to me. You know, and O'Reilly just finally like, okay. And I think O'Reilly beat him. It was a good fight, but I think I'd give it to O'Reilly. But it's out there on YouTube. You should check it out. Yeah. And then O'Reilly ended up being coach a year or two later after that fight. But yep. uh, it's out on YouTube. It's pretty good. It's an early Nylon saying, "Well, and please, even, please, please give me the fight, sir." Well, wasn't it too? Whenever O'Reilly was coach, that was his coach during the incident that the brawl in the hall. Yeah. Isn't that the part where one of the players went up. Of course, O'Reilly's trying to get mixed up. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was Mike Milbury holding him back. Yeah. Yeah. And I think McPhee, who was a, a tough guy in Montreal, was kind of chirping to O'Reilly, who was you know, the coach on the bench. And if you look at that, O'Reilly doesn't say anything and just he stares him down. And, you know, and he knows he couldn't fight, but I think he was going to. And, yeah. You know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Mess with no. Still, even then, I wouldn't. Because the only thing you'd say is like, well, he hasn't fought or, or worked out or done that in a while. So he probably hurt himself throwing that left hand as hard as he used to. But. I would still not want to be eating any of those punches from well, O'Reilly at all, even at his age now. I would, I would while we're ending here, I, I would throw out, I saw this uh, documentary called Big Bag and Bobby, Big Bad and Bobby. I sent you the link. Did you watch it? Yep. Well, and they've been showing it on uh, Nesson as well. It's been a big documentary. Right. And, that, I, and Dropkick Murphy yep. leader is, is put this together and, uh, if I'm sure the Bruins fans have seen it, but if you haven't, it, it came out this year and I watched it last week and I made uh, your stepmom, who's, you know, not a Bostonian, but turned into a hockey lover and she's trying to learn. And it, it's a great documentary on the uh, basically leading up to the 1970 uh, Stanley Cup. But a lot of it's about Bobby Orbit. It's a lot of good old, old Bruins players and they're interviewing. It was really good. So if you haven't checked it out, Big Bad and Bobby, I want to throw that out there for uh, 
those filmmakers that, that did that. It was done really well. I enjoyed it. Awesome. Well, Dan, unless you've got anything else, I think we're ready to close out the show today. All right. I don't have anything else. Um, we do. Uh, we've been teasing with a guest and we, we are going to have a guest on here. Our first guest going to be a professional ECHL player. Uh, uh, but with training camp going on and now the season starting, we're kind of letting that player, uh, you know, that player agreed to come on our podcast, but we're giving him a little bit of break to, you know, get situated and we'll be open to him and we'll get him on and hopefully some more, uh, hockey players. Absolutely. And also that. Yeah. And also too, uh, if you guys missed the announcement, um, we are on all streaming services, you know, wherever you listen to podcasts, Transistor, Apple, I mean, uh, Spotify, Spotify, Google Play. Well, now we've been officially accepted on the last platform, and that's Apple Podcasts. Yeah, so, and that's if, the one I use. Right. So if you're on Apple Podcasts, even if you're not, do us a favor. If you really like us or enjoy the show, go and give us a five-star rating and or subscribe to our channel on there, because that would... That would make us look good, make me feel good about myself, you know? Yeah, and we've been getting a lot of good positive feedback. And like I say, we're going to have a professional player on our podcast. Yep. So we're, we're starting to get things going here. And we want to thank everybody that does support us. And and do uh, it does help, I guess, when people in the hockey world are trying to look around at different, there's so many podcasts, you know, the better ratings you have. So, but like that, follow us on Twitter. We also like to retweet some hockey news both on the uh, minor league front and uh, nhl front yep. and we do throw a lot of uh, cool things that we come up with every once in a while uh, with some old bruins alumni and you just you know wrote a great article uh, as well on uh, rick middleton on his past birthday and covering his career so check that out on blackandgold.com that you write for yep. And it's, again, check out our, our Twitter. We thank you guys very much. Yes. And I would also like to give a quick shout out um, to the Black and Gold founder and owner, um, uh, Mark, his podcast, uh, which he's been doing for a long time now, a couple of years, Black and Gold Hockey Podcast, uh, is officially ranked number 29 in, in the world for hockey podcasts on Apple Podcasts. Oh, nice. So Congrats. Big, big deal for him. And um, just a big congratulations for him. He works incredibly hard harder than most people i know so shout out to mark and, and the guys and, and the people on his podcast um so go ahead and follow us on everything else we appreciate everybody once again tuning in uh, to episode nine of the Windrock hockey podcast have a wonderful day take care bye-bye